Well, good morning, church. Thanks for coming out uh, today. We're in a sermon series on the book of Daniel, uh, and it's um, not about Daniel as much, and we've said this from week to week, it's not about Daniel as much, it's about a God that has no rival and has no equal. I confess to you last week, if I had to rename the sermon series, I think I uh, would. We said last week that in 227 or something like that of Daniel, Daniel's trying to interpret a dream, and Daniel says, I can't, O king, but there is a God in heaven. And God is behind the scenes all the way through the book of Daniel, and I think maybe now, after I'm four weeks into the series, and if I had to name it again, I would title it, But There Is a God in Heaven, which is the essence of the gospel, which is the essence of the message of the Bible all the way through. Um, some people say the emphasis on Daniel, you need to have faith like Daniel, dare to be a Daniel, so forth and so on. I see it differently. Uh, Daniel was faithful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful, but it's God's behind the scenes that are leading them, guiding them, even as their POWs in Babylon as they've been taken prisoners of war. We finished uh, last week as Daniel was about to interpret a dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, called all of his uh, wise men together and said, you need to tell me what I dreamed? And they said, okay, tell us what you dreamed. And he said, no, you tell me what I dreamed. Don't just in interpret what I'm getting ready to tell you here. You tell me what I dreamed. And that threw him for a loop. And they said, nobody can uh, do that. No one's ever asked, been asked to do that. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar set off with their heads and, and asked that all of the uh, wise men and interpreters' heads uh, be uh, taken off. And uh, Daniel, uh, after an evening of prayer, said, I, I can't interpret their, this dream, but there is a God in heaven who can. And... Um, I hope that little phrase, but there is a God in heaven, uh, helps you through your Christian life. There's so much that we uh, think that we can do, um, but uh, so much that we also find ourselves at the end of our rope and cannot do, but there is a God in heaven. So he, um, he interprets a dream. He first of all tells him what the dream was to be able to start off with, and he says, you know, O king, here's what you saw in your dream. You saw, you saw a big statue. You saw a big statue that was made of five different types of, of material. The head was made of gold and the chest was made of silver and so forth and so on. And he said uh, these, these five different types of um, metals or whatever they would be called are, are, uh, represent five different kingdoms. The first represents your kingdom. The other kingdoms represent kingdoms that will come after you. Your kingdom will not last, O, o king. And uh, you will be replaced by another kingdom, which is uh, exemplified in the statue by another different type of material there. And so he says, all these five kingdoms will uh, not last. And also in the dream, you saw a big rock that came and smashed the statue. And, that, and he said, that represents the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God who will bow to no one and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was blown away by the interpretation of the, not only the fact that Daniel told him what the dream was, but that he, this interpretation of the dream. And so we get to the end of chapter 2, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream has been told to him and has been interpreted to him. And even though that what parts of the interpretation of the dream was that your kingdom will not last, Nebuchadnezzar is uh, amazed by this 
dream and says in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate. Somebody sent me a text message in, after the first service and said, for sure you pronounce that other R in prostate. <laughs> Kids don't know what we're talking about down here, okay? <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. That means he fell down in front of him before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Verse 47, the king said to Daniel, surely, king makes some kind of profession of faith here. Nebuchadnezzar says, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, worshiper of many gods, said to Daniel, man, it's your God. Man, you, you, you got a real God here and, and fell down before Daniel and made this proclamation of faith. He has been able, your God is a revealer of mysteries and he's revealed this to you. So Nebuchadnezzar makes some kind of profession of faith there, right? I, it's, you know, you can say what you want to about it, but there's certainly some kind of profession of faith. So it's amazing to us that as we're here at the end of chapter 2, there's two verses after this, and it just says something like, uh, and, and Nebuchadnezzar made, made Daniel the head of his wise men and promoted Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to his royal court, something like that, okay? So you get this profession of faith at the end of chapter 2, and then right at the start of chapter 3, you get a verse that you would never expect it, that you would have never, ever expected, right, especially right after verse 47. So 3.1 of Daniel says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and set it up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse 4, then the herald, that would be the herald of the king, loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, what's a zither? Anybody know, maybe, anybody know that? Horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And this verse 6 says this, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So chapter 3 here, the whole, the whole reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace in the first place is they would not fall down to this image that Nebuchadnezzar had constructed and told everybody to fall down to. So I don't know. How do you go from the end of chapter 2 where he makes some kind of proclamation of faith? Surely your God is the Lord of lords. So how do you go from the end of chapter 2? We don't know how much time was there between the end of chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3. We don't know, and I, I assume because we don't know, it's not important. But you go to the end of chapter 2, you get some kind of profession of faith, and then you go to the start of chapter 3, sometime in between, start of chapter 3, and he's building an idol and demanding that everybody fall down to this idol, and if you don't fall down to this idol, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. 
My question this morning is what happened to the Nebuchadnezzar between those verses? The truth of the matter is, we don't know. Now, I could speculate, but my speculation is no better than yours, and you didn't come here this morning to hear me speculate. Even though it's not plainly written for us in Scripture, I think there are some things in the context right there that point us to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and the spiritual drift in his life. Let me tell you something. Spiritual drift is a possibility and indeed a reality for a lot of people. We're not talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, we are talking about Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm not talking about Nebuchadnezzar, right? I'm talking about us today. Spiritual drift is a possibility, and in many cases we see a reality in people's life. And if you will be honest today, if, if you can just be as transparent as you can, as I am trying to be as well, there's not a single one of us that are in this sanctuary today, the guy preaching to you, anybody that's listening on um, YouTube or Facebook this morning, there's not a one of us that have not at some times in our life felt drift in our life. We're not proud of it. I'm not waving a banner about it. That drift did not surprise God because God has a whole book written in the New Testament that one of the main purposes of the writing of that book is to warn us against falling away, is to warn us against drift. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, said we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed for he who promised is faithful. If there wasn't an issue with drifting away, why do I need to hold unswervingly? Let us hold on. The exhortation by the writer of the Hebrews, which we don't know who wrote this book. The exhortation is to hold on, man. And I got no business exhorting you to hold on if there's not a reason of letting go. Chapter 3, verse 12 of the book of Hebrews. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, I could take more time through the book of Hebrews and pull out other verses to you. But the Hebrew writer was very, very concerned, and I could take you passages in other, other parts of the New Testament, very, very concerned about spiritual drift. And I don't know what to call it that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of chapter 2, he has this profession of faith. And then at the start of chapter 3, I don't know how many years in between, at the start of chapter 3, there's this, he's building an idol and says, you've got to bow down to it, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. My, my question this morning is what happened there. And there's some clues to what happened in the, very, in, in the very context. Now, I could take some time here 
Pastor Harold could take some time here. Some of the rest of you could take some time here. And we could list reasons for spiritual drift. You know what? They would be, they would be right. We would, we, we would be talking from our own experience and talking from people's experience that are around us. But I've chosen to stay close to the text this morning and tell you what, what the text insinuates here. Everyone knows that spiritual drift is a possibility and a reality. You know it because of your own lives, but you know it because of people that are not sitting in this church this morning. Or people that you knew that were walking with God and today they've drifted. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian anymore. I'm not even arguing that. But they certainly aren't at the same place that they were then. Every one of you probably, if you've lived long enough, could stand right now and call people's names. And some of you would be honest enough to call your own name. It happened to me in my life. But some of you would say, yep, I, I don't know what causes it. But da-da-da-da-da-da, she, he, something happened. What happened? I'm going to list you this morning some context of seems like what maybe happened to Nebuchadnezzar. The first thing is that drifting can happen because we put too much emphasis on man. Too much emphasis. Now, Mark, where did you get that? Did you just make that up? Did you, did you come up with that through 27 years of in the pastoral counseling room? Well, 27 years in the pastoral counseling room gives me some credibility. I understand that. But there's more credibility by looking at the Scripture. In verse 46 of chapter 2, I already read to you, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. So it seems like Nebuchadnezzar thinks Daniel's a really big deal here. He, he fell down, and that is a sign of worship in the Old Testament, as you fall prostrate in front of him. Angels prostrate fall, we used to sing with some of the hymns. Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and an incense. That's what you do to the gods. You bring them offerings and you bring them incense, that's Old Testament stuff. Now, I'm arguing here that I don't think you have to be too much of a Bible student that, that Nebuchadnezzar was thinking that Daniel was all about it here. I mean, can I tell you that if you get your eyes on man, um, drifting is a possibility. You know why? Because man will let you down. I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you. That's something that you need to know. And if you haven't already learned, man will let you down. Man is fallible. Man talks a better game than he walks. 
And you know why we know all that to be true? Come on, church. You know why we know all of that to be true? Because we are very aware of our own fallibility. We're very aware of our own ability to walk a better game than we talk. And let me tell you, if in my Christian life, if my eyes are on man, whether that would be someone else in the church, whether that would be a pastor, whether that would be other Christians that I know, if my eyes are going to be on them, I am somewhere along the line going to be disappointed, and disappointment leads to drift. I'm just trying to be honest. And, and some of you in here, most of you in here have lived long enough to know the truth of what I'm saying. If, if my eyes, spiritual eyes, are not on God and they're on man, I will be disappointed and disappointment leads to drift. Well, how many times have I heard it, friends? I heard it just this week. Well, they did this. And, they, and she did that. The pastor did that. They didn't do this. Pastor didn't do this. Yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt. I have no doubt. And I have no doubt that people may disappoint you. And the people of a church may disappoint you. And then maybe something could happen in a church that causes you to leave that church. But man, it should not cause you to drift away. Leaving a church because of something and drifting away from Jesus because of something are two completely different things. If you have your eyes on man... And don't have your eyes on God. Man will disappoint you, and disappointment leads to drift in your Christian life. Oh, in, uh, in 2022, it'll be the same in 2023, we will read of, of pastors who have fallen. It's a big deal when pastors fall, and it should be a big deal when pastors fall because we're held to a higher standard. And when pastors fall, people are disenchanted. I understand that. People are disappointed. I understand that. I understand that. I can, I can tell you in 2022 and other years, mega churches, churches with powerful ministries, worldwide ministries that their pastor fail the pastor drifted they were disappointed in their pastor and the church is a, just a fraction of what they used to be a church a ministry is more than the person that stands up front 
The person that stands up front has a lot of responsibility. (laughs) But if your relationship with Jesus is based on how well I preach or somebody else preach or how well the band plays or how cool the lights are and the projection is, then you are going down the wrong road. I can list you several reasons for spiritual drift that I've learned in 27 years of ministry. But I'm just trying to talk to you this morning about what's in this text. Nebuchadnezzar plainly fell prostrate before Daniel, offered him incense and offerings. And if we would read a couple of verses later, Put him in charge of all the wise men. I, I just, it just seems like to me that he put too much emphasis on man. Friends, um, I'm so thankful for godly people that I've looked up to in my Christian life. There's been a lot of them, friends. I'm thankful for them. They, they participated in discipling me, whether they knew they were doing that or not. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for godly pastors that that I've sat under. And I I could sit here and start naming them off. People that have impacted me, discipled me. I'm so thankful for that. But my spiritual life does not depend on them. Does not depend on their faithfulness. They are fallible people. The Bible says in many places there's not a single one of us that are above temptation. You need to pray for spiritual leaders, especially people that have national prominence because there's a lot of responsibility on those shoulders and Average Joes and Janes of the church of Jesus Christ put too much emphasis on them. Let us not do that. Let us be appreciative. Let us be so appreciative. God, thank you for the mentors you brought inside of my, in my life. Thank you for old brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Thank you for them. I, I'm so appreciative for the people that I've been at. We all need people to look up to. Whether, whether we're new Christians or whether, or whether we're Young basketball players, you need an athlete to look up to. Oh, we all need people to look up to. But don't put so much stock in them that if somehow they back up on God, that I drift away. I'm so disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed. Of course I'm going to be disappointed. But I'm so disappointed that I drift. (laughs) Was that the reason that Nebuchadnezzar drifted? You know, can I be honest preacher today and said I would not sit up here and bet my life that that's the reason but there's something there in the text that I'm not comfortable with drifting happens when we put too much emphasis on man and 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 that not only means the preacher or people of the church or our Sunday school teachers and all of that it just means church in general because church is man I mean, and, and, and church, you know what? Gosh. Man, you don't be a Christian too long to know that church will let you down. The best of them. 
Okay. Drift happens because of too much emphasis on man. Drift happens when we don't meet God personally. Where'd you get that, Mark? Are you just making that up, you know? I came here to teach you, to hear that you teach me the Bible this morning. Okay. Where did I get that? Go to verse 47. The king said to Daniel, surely you're God. Surely you're God. Well, how, how upset I would be with my boys if my boys referred to God as dad's God. Wouldn't like it. You know what I say to them? Well, we, need, we need to pray right now. <laughs> well, Dad, he's your God. Hey, none of us as parents are like that. And the king, it seems like the king who was a pagan who had many gods, he's acknowledging a God that we would call capital G God, and he says he's Daniel's God. Surely your God is the God of God and the Lord of I'm telling you this morning that drifting happens when you don't meet God personally. In my 27 years of ministry there, I don't know how many people I've baptized. Who, who knows? I don't know how many people I've accepted in the membership of the church. And I've stood right here and said the same thing that I did to Jeremy and Bree Nelson last, last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever it was. And said, do you stand before these people and profess Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? And I don't know how many people have said, yes, we do. But you know what, Harold? It, it would disappoint all of us preachers of any denomination to, to see a list of the people we baptized. And to see a list of the people that we joined, who joined our church under our ministry. And to be able to say that unfortunately a lot of these people have drifted. It's not a Nazarene problem. It's not a Baptist problem. It's not a Methodist problem. It's a problem. It's a church. It's a Christian problem. It's a Christian problem. Just because I get baptized doesn't mean I've met Jesus. Just because I've, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's an exhibition. It's a symbol of that. But what's happened has happened on the inside. And as a pastor, I do my best to, to discern the legitimacy of somebody's faith. But at the bottom line, I can't judge the person. If I did, I would judge wrong and, uh, half the time. And, and you can be baptized. You can join the church without meeting Jesus. Some old preacher said, you can be born in the church, you can be raised in the church, you can be baptized in the church, you can be married in the church, you can serve in the church, and you can give to the church, and you can die to the church, but you won't go to heaven as all you've been is in church instead of in Christ. Jesus said, ye must be born again. That happens different for everybody. There's not an absolute prescription, step one, step two, step three. There's some mystery involved here. It won't happen to you the way it happened to me, and it won't happen to her the way it happened to him. And it's just, it's, there's mystery here, but you know what? There's got to be a time and a place 
that you can be able to say, I don't understand it all, but I know that I know that I know. Let me tell you, and I've, I've used this language to you before. On August 29th, 1993, Calvary Baptist Church in Georgetown, Illinois. You can put a gun to my head right now and I will not recant. Something happened to me that day. Now, who knows? Let's, let's, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. Let's, let's, maybe, I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe it wasn't God. Who knows? Maybe it wasn't God. But you know what I can say? I got no other explanation for it other than God. And everybody doesn't be able to have Danville, Illinois, time and place, George, Calvary Baptist Church, at, at my mother's bedside. We all may not have that exact time experience, but please, friends, don't leave here today without hearing this preacher said, somehow, something has had to happen to you that you know, that you know, that you know. And if it hasn't, can I ask you with all the love that I can muster are you in church or are you in Christ one of the first people I ever tried to mentor disciple was very young Christians probably before soon I were married you know I was trying my best with him I took him to promise keepers I'd meet and have lunch with him and da 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 I was trying my best with him and about a year after his profession of faith, he, there was some serious drift there. And I went and talked to him and said, hey, man, what's going on? What's going on? Haven't seen you in church for a while. And like it or not, church attendance is an indicator. I haven't seen you in church for a while. Well, he, I, he said, I thought that, you know, I really thought that God would give me my wife back. I really thought that God would save my marriage. Is that why he came to Jesus? Or did he come to Jesus? Because he's a sinner and needs a savior. And Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. All kinds of reasons why people are in church. And most of them, you know, are probably pretty good. Turn over a new leaf. I want my kids, how many times have I heard that? I want my kids to be raised in church. Good. I'm glad you want your kids to be raised in church. But what about you? <laughs> Drift happens when I never meet God personally. And one more thing, then we're going. Um, Drift happens when I expect God to be a revealer of mysteries. And I take that little quote from the text itself. Verse 47 says this. 
The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. I've been around this long enough, friends, that um, some people get disenchanted and disappointed with a God that doesn't answer all their questions. All those questions. What kind of questions, Mark? All, you know the questions. Why? How come? People just get disappointed. People get disappointed with unanswered questions. And disappointment leads to drift. And if I suddenly think that when I come to Jesus... I'm going to be able to grasp all knowledge about spiritual things and God's going to give me a clue about things that I have no clue of, I'll be certainly disappointed. God has chosen to reveal some things. He's chosen. I read this week and I've never ever, I've never ever heard anybody say this. But they, they refer to the Bible as God's heavenly, excuse me, his divine disclosure. Now that's good. I've never heard that. His divine disclosure. God has chosen to disclose some things. But the things he has chosen not to disclose will dwarf the things that he has chosen to disclose. There comes to, has to come a time in my life that I become at peace with the unanswered questions. And if I don't get at peace with the unanswered questions, I will eventually disappointment and be disappointed, and disappointment leads to drift. I, I heard it just after the end of the first service. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, and I won't call his name, but he says, you know, my dad's that way. My dad likes to figure out all of the times and dates and mysteries and when it'll happen and when it won't happen and all the secret stuff that's in the Bible. Can I tell you, friends, you are going down the wrong road. If you're trying to find the secret stuff that is in the Bible, you need what he has chosen to disclose, and that's good enough for you to have faith in him. And for me to try to find the secret things, the Bible code. Who's laughing over there? <laughs> okay. For you to try to find the secret things, man, you're, 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 you're chasing a rabbit's trail. And you, when you try to find the secret things, you're going to miss the real thing. You're going to miss it. How arrogant of me. How arrogant of me to somehow think that I can understand why God does this and why God doesn't do that. How arrogant of man to somehow think that my pea brain can be able to comprehend the governance of the universe. 
And yet, people will get so enamored with those last several chapters of Daniel that I'm not even going to go in because, you know what, I don't understand them. And if I don't understand them, I sure can't teach them. If I don't understand them, I sure can't give you anything practical and applicable to your lives, which is the only reason I want to be up here and preach, to give you something that you can apply to your life. I'm just telling you, friends, if you expect God to be a revealer of mysteries, you will eventually be disappointed, and disappointed will lead to drift. You have to come to a place in your life that you become at peace with the unanswered questions. Because you know what? Come on. You know what? Being at peace with the unanswered questions, that's faith. What faith does it take if God is a revealer of all mysteries? And every two plus two, I have to get to equal four in the Bible. There are some places I see two plus two and I scratch my head because it seems like it equals five. And somewhere along the line, I've got to have faith in a God that won't answer all my questions because if I had all my questions answered then it's no longer faith it's no longer faith and 11.6 of Hebrews says it's only by faith that you can please him <laughs> so I just came to talk to you this morning not necessarily about Nebuchadnezzar alright he lived 600 years B.C. not necessarily about Nebuchadnezzar but something from his life there has to be a reason that God has disclosed this story for us. And these are one of the ones I think maybe I understand. I didn't come to talk about Nebuchadnezzar. I came to talk about you. And I came to talk about me. Because we all know and can sense in our life times adrift. And we need to set up some blockades and some barriers to that drift to that drift and one is that you've got to meet God face to face and you can't come to church because you're hoping God will bring your wife back it's okay to pray that God will bring your wife back but it's not the reason you're in here well I'm just praying that God's going to heal my grandmother that's great let's pray but it's not the reason you're in here I need God to pray and give me direction on whether I should go to this college or that college. And I think that's great, but that's not the reason you're in here. You're in here because you need him. You need a Savior in your life. Has that happened to you? <laughs> really? Are you in Christ or are you in church? Have you been born again? Have you met him? Can you, can you say, I don't understand very much about it, but I know that I know that I know. Man, if, man, if you can't, man, that's got to happen to you. Whether you're 15 or whether you're 75, it's got to happen to you. And that's one of the reasons that Every Sunday we close at the table 
It's, 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 the, it's, it's the focal point. Well, I, I hear what Pastor Mark said today, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I do. I need, I, need, I, need to, I need to meet him personally. I need to start praying more. Well, glory, that's good, but that ain't the answer. That's not the answer. Well, I, I need to, um, uh, he's right, I, I, need to, I need to meet God, and I, I, so I, I need to, I, I, need to um, I need to read the Bible more. Well, good for you. Read it to your heart's content. It won't get you to heaven. Only meeting Jesus in a personal way. I understand what Mark says. I understand it. And I need to I need him to meet him personal. It's got to become more real. I think I'll start to tithe. Good for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You should. But you're damning yourself to heaven if you think that's the assurance. Damn yourself to heaven. How, how's that? Damn yourself to hell. <laughs> that must mean it's time to quit, huh? <laughs> It'll damn you to hell if your assurance is somehow on what you're giving. And that's one of the reasons that we close every single Sunday at the table. So if you're helping us serve this morning, would you come forward? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what is the first thing you seek? What is the first thing you seek? It's not the church. It's him, his son, Jesus, his provision for your sin. Seek first. Seek first. First things first. And that's one of the reasons we close every single Sunday this way. I've told you before, Brandon wanted me to do this a long, as those of you know who Brandon Hancock was, he wanted me to do this a long time before I agreed to it, but I'm glad I did. Because it puts the focus where it needs to be, on Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Father, these folks have heard the, nothing new today, nothing profound, it just seems like I repeat myself more and more, but. Maybe that's just what the gospel is. It's continuing to say it till somebody grabs it. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, that we'll put barriers, blockades to drift in our lives. Help us to do that. Help us to not think this sermon is for somebody else. May we say, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, as we come to the altar, would you meet our needs? In Christ's name, amen. Our tables and our altars are open. We'll lead you all through communion in just a moment.